Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refine Collective podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go. But would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Well, welcome to another episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris. And today we have Ty Alexander with us. She is a best-selling author, speaker, podcaster, and wellness blogger who teaches women how to choose gratitude over grief, which I totally love. In her writings and teachings, she blends radically honest stories with actionable aha lessons. And through her wildly popular blog, lovetyalexander.com, she has become a leading authority in lifestyle, beauty, and wellness-related content. She's even been featured in media outlets like Well and Good, Red Book, Real Simple, CNN, O Magazine, Essence, and was a 2016 Blog Her Voices of the Year nominee. Oh my gosh, so many amazing things. Um, and Ty has also been a digital content partner to major brands like Dove, Anthropology, Estee Lauder, State Farm, and Ulta Beauty. And in 2016, she fulfilled a lifelong dream of becoming a published author with the debut of her book, Things I Wish I Knew Before My Mom Died. Her first book drives home a resounding message. Women of color need a brave space to discuss their mental wellness without judgment or shame. She has Destination Heal, which is Ty's love letter to those women. This social wellness community was designed to help women cultivate life-shifting healing experiences. Her podcast, Self-Care in Real Life, which is so incredible, explores strategies and ideas for becoming your best self through active healing. As the host of the podcast, Ty takes listeners on a new journey to love shamelessly beyond the guilt, the baggage, and the insecurities that life plagues us with. While the accolades are plenty at this stage in her career, her real heart is to strive for greatness in all that she does. So, oh my gosh, Ty, you're a freaking baller. I can't believe you're on the podcast with me right now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. 
Oh my gosh, me too. And that's not even like all you do. Like I've been following you around in quarantine. (laughs) (laughs) Were you getting like sweaty? Were you like, oh my gosh, like (laughs) no. Like, oh my God, that's so long. Maybe I should shorten that a little bit. (laughs) No, I so I usually shorten them when people send them to me, Mm -hmm. but I was like, this is freaking amazing. I want to read all of this. But also you're now a DJ. Oh yeah. And you are like building and staining tables in quarantine. <laughs> Other reasons why I have to update it because I have added yet another talent to my uh, roster of things that I can do. So yeah, I am a DJ now. Seriously, <laughs> what don't you do? <laughs> um, not too much. I do kind of everything. Uh, I'm def- it's funny because my mother, um, my mother and my father were both entrepreneurs. So I have that just kind of seed in me already. So I've always lived by the model of like, I don't really have to pay somebody to do this. I could probably figure this out. Um, and so now at 43, my ultimate goal is just to have fun. So that's kind of where DJing yeah. came from. And then I happened to be kind of good. And I was like, Oh, Hey, wait, maybe I can make this a thing. So yeah, that's incredible. And it's so interesting. I, I love how you shared that because I think so many people are like, I need to find my thing, my whatever the quote unquote thing Mm, is that mm -hmm, is going to make me the money is going to be my dream, my calling, my purpose. And that can change and shift and take on so many different layers Mm -hmm. and forms throughout our entire life. Like you just became a DJ like this year and I'm sure 10 years from now, you're going to be trying something else. Yeah, I think that that was probably like in my when I think about my wellness journey, one of the things I had to resolve, obviously from society that uh, instilled in us is that there isn't that one thing that's going to make me happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I have to do I have to create my my other theme in my podcast is kind of helping women to create these moments of joy. And so I'm constantly chasing after joy. And in some cases, it's chasing after me. Like DJing wasn't a thing that I was like, oh, I have to do. But I saw a class and I saw it like three times, I believe in signs. And I was like, I should probably take this class, like whatever. So I take Mm -hmm. the class. I didn't even buy the equipment until like the week before the class ended because I was like, I don't really know. But again, there's so much joy in that in that experience. You know, I just let joy kind of flow throughout that. And so a part of my mission is to kind of help women be able to choose those joyful moments and kind of create those things for themselves. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And just even when you're sharing that, I I think about just the idea that like, I believe every person has like a unique story to tell and there's like stuff inside us that are, that's begging to get out and is begging to be created and stories to be told. And the story that Ty Alexander has is a story that only you can share. And my story, Kat Harris is the only story that I can share. And I think we all each have these creative explosions in us or creative sparks within us that are just dying to get out. And I know for so long for myself, I was an athlete growing up and I didn't think there was a creative bone in my body. Mm. I thought that was for like those creative types or Mm -hmm, anyone mm -hmm. else but me. Like (laughs) even to this day, I've run a successful photography business for over a decade. And I still am like, I feel like I'm more of like a business person than a creative. Right. But really like when you're saying like, pursuing joy and joy pursuing you. I think we all have those things within us. And I would love to hear what you think 
that like when I talk about whatever, when I talk about like working with women, for me, when I'm talking about like singleness and sexuality and stuff like that, like I start using my hands a little bit more, my heartbeat starts Mm. bumping a little faster. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that is a thing that lights me up. Mm -hmm. And I think we Mm -hmm. know when the thing needs to come out of us when we have those reactions of, Ooh, like that, that, like pricked me a little bit. Ooh, like that gets me excited to talk about. Like, let let's do more of those things that that were cute, that spark that. I think it's just also selfish of us to believe or allow society to teach us rather that we're only afforded one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. the, that whole idea is crazy to me. Like, mm-hmm. so I'm supposed to live until you know ninety or a hundred, and I only have one joyful thing that I like mm-hmm. to do. That's absurd. Yeah. That's absurd. And how much pressure? Right. Out of the thousands, hundreds, and millions of things I could be doing, yeah. I got to pick one. You yeah. know, that, that's just absurd to me. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I probably will do something else before I die. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Probably 10 more things. Maybe, Ty, you can kind of unpack for us. So what you're doing now, like, was this always the plan? And like, how did you get here? Like, how did like 15 year old Ty get to be 43 year old mogul? <laughs> so I'm not I am not a planner by any stretch of the word. I am definitely the unorganized organized friend. I'm still I'm still working on what being an organized adult <laughs> looks mm-hmm. like. But the younger me, I, I can say that I always wanted to write. I remember um, wanting to write children's books and I had a thousand journals. I still have a thousand journals that that mean different things. So I've always had that kind of, I guess, core um, talent of like being able to write and kind of being able to express myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can remember it kind of being more like a survival technique for me when my father was going through his addiction. And so early on I had, I'm I'm a therapy girl. So early on my, my dad worked at a car, at a car, uh, Chrysler. And so in order to keep his job, he had to go through therapy. We went through therapy. So we were kind of privileged in that it was, and it was a necessity for him, for him to be able to you know, provide income for us, he had to go to therapy. And so I learned all types of techniques. And one of them, again, was journaling and writing. So from at least maybe 10 or like 11, I've been kind of writing and and unpacking my feelings. So I've always been, which is definitely a blessing because I've always been really, really aware of what my feelings felt like. Hmm. And then of course, as I got older, I was able to resolve some figure out how to react to some, you know, those, I think those, those techniques come with more experience you have as an adult, but really early on, which I think some people never figure out is how to release their feelings and then how to express them to others. So I've just been practicing that from really early. So wouldn't necessarily say that that's the plan, but -hmm. I don't question God's work. So (laughs) whatever it is, manifest into here we are to today. So again, I never fight what turn I go in my journey because I have turned a lot of ways. And so it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer when people say, oh, is this the plan? I'm like, eh, I guess that's what God planned. Like this yeah. is the plan for me right now. Right. And so yeah. maybe again, a year from now, I might be DJing all over the world and then maybe I'll get bored and stop and do something. You know, I never know what the plan is mm-hmm. because I really am operating 
I am, I am solely operating as God's vessel. So whatever he, wherever he, whatever lane he wants me to be in, whatever conversations he wants me to be a part of, I just kind of move through that. So hope that answers the question. <laughs> the reality that you were able to get tools when you were 10 years old to process, to first identify your emotions mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. process through trauma as it's unfolding. I mean, I, I feel like, well, my, when my parents got divorced when I was 10, we went to like a local church that had grief counseling, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. a small group. And I remember my mom will joke now. She'll be like, man, I signed, we, I signed us all up for this like six week, like divorce recovery program. And after the six weeks was over, I was like, okay, we're done now. Like it's all over, <laughs> right? No, like we're just, we're, we've moved on. Right. And how funny it's like, well, no, like now I'm yeah. 35 and I'm still unpacking and moving through that stuff. But to get to be able to have those tools. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that, or I know that I didn't believe or, or see that growing up, mm. you know, but it's like, I think because I was so affected by his addiction, like, mm. I don't think we talk about, you know, enough on, of how children are affected yes. by their parents' addiction. And I think that I was so like, for me, again, it was my survival mode. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would literally listen to what the therapist said, do the exercises. And then I just kept doing them. And so even, cause I think we had like a 12 week something like it was, you know, it wasn't a year, but it was like one of those quick sessions. And so I just kept doing them. And so even when it wasn't my dad's addiction, you know, maybe it was some boy that I liked, right. you know, that didn't like me or a bully or some, you know, whatever problem came, I would take those things. And then basically the technique really is to unload your brain of these mm-hmm. feelings, right. Yeah. And put them on paper and then be able to analyze them and react to them before your mind starts to say, well, she said this and she mm-hmm. said that, and you know, before your mind starts to kind of infiltrate them in such a bad way where you do bad things essentially. So, um, for me, again, it was definitely a survival technique. Like, I don't, I don't know the person I would have been had, I. it's funny cause my, bro- my brother and I were on the phone the other day. He was talking about, he was like, do you, you ever think about like, what if, Mommy had died earlier and all we had was daddy. <laughs> I said, I don't know. We wouldn't be the same people. <laughs> we wouldn't have made it. And uh-huh. so we make jokes for that. I definitely love my dad and he it's it's a sickness. Yeah. Um yeah. but it's it's just when I think about gratitude over grief, that mm. those are the moments of thinking, you know, so okay, my mom isn't here, but imagine if I never had, you know, this amazing woman that did all of these things in spite of the addiction in, in spite of thousands of things. Right? right. And so imagine if I didn't have this person to mold and scope me, would I really be where I am today? Right. And so when I think about, you know, the grief that I will probably always feel, you know, for her death, it, 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 it it's a mandatory for me to choose gratitude because mm. I know I could have been somebody else or, you yeah. know, I, I could have been a different kind of tie. So, yeah. And I think, I mean, gosh, you're touching on like so many, so many things that I'm like, oh, yes. Like growing up, my dad is, was an addict and in and out of my, basically from the time my parents got divorced until I graduated college, my dad was in and out of rehabs, in and out of our lives. I mean, he would pick us up high. We'd go live with him in the summer and he'd disappear for days on end. And I, I, I didn't learn the term adult 
child child of an addict until a couple mm-hmm. years ago. But mm-hmm. I and I don't know if this is how you feel feel with growing up with an addict, but I mean I'm a freaking survivor and I know mm-hmm. how to survive. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I mean, I knew the only way that I was going to go to college was a, is, was if I got a full ride scholarship. So I busted mm-hmm. my ass to make that happen. I wanted to move to California and start a business. So I made it happen, moved to New York mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. further my career, made that happen. And I think I got so good at surviving because it was all I knew and that I prided myself on it. Like I would be in New York and like write my rent check and be like, Oh, thank you God. Like for letting me survive another month. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then it like dawned on me one day, what if I didn't just have to survive? Mm. Like, what if I could thrive? Like, why Mm -hmm. am I sitting here being like, Oh, thank God. Like God just provided barely enough so that I can make my rent. Um, and I think that there's so um, a million ways that growing up in addiction in a broken home has impacted my life. But I was talking with my therapist recently and just working through some of my my past stuff with my with my dad and the addiction stuff. And and I was I shared with her I was like you know I feel like I've lived a thousand deaths with mm-hmm. my family because of this relationship and because of the addiction. And I was like, I'm just so tired of feeling like I'm dying all the time. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Kat, what comes with death? And I was like, you know, naming off, well, heartache and, you know, you can't move on and all this stuff. And she's like, well, what else? She was like, only resurrection happens after death. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the minute that you said that question, my first thought was rebirth Yep, because when you think about things kind of dying, something mm-hmm. new comes out of that, mm-hmm. whether it's a new situation, a new job, you know, it, it, something new comes out. Of, even when I think about my mother dying, like, yes, it was, mm-hmm. you know, sad and, you know, depressing and whatever, but I became a new person. Like mm-hmm. I became this wellness person, this person who cared even more about, you know, my health and, and it, I just became a new tie. And so now my my perception as your therapist um, acts like my perception of death is just not the same as of what it was before, like at all. It's it's not this horrible, sad story, you know. And, and again, just kind of watching my mom go through the process because mm-hmm. there is a process of death when 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 you have certain illnesses, mm-hmm. and so just watching her the way she handled it and just imagining where she could, where her soul could be now. It's just, it's for me, it's a beautiful experience. It was nothing but a beautiful, beautiful experience. Now, while it was sad, yes. And I, and I still believe that uh, joy and sorrow can exist in the same plane, you know? And so I've also resolved some of that. Like I can be joyful and be sad too. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be the one or the other. It's it, But it's never, you, exp- they, right. they run parallel. Like you experience them both. And I think we do, again, we dishonor humanity when we tell ourselves, I've got to feel one way, one thing at a time. Like that's just, we're not one dimensional creatures. That's just not how our brain, our bodies, that's not how it works. This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, 
frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. And so what did that... Let's just, you know, start with that self-care journey for you. You're working through coping with your dad's addiction and stuff going on with your family. Was there like a moment where you're like, I need to like take care of myself? Like what, mm-hmm. what was kind of the jump starter for that? And what does it look like for you? So growing, and I'll clarify, because if my dad listens, I'll be like, well, that's not how it went. <laughs> <laughs> So my, as a kid, my dad, it's levels, right? So as a kid, my dad um, was a drug addict and alcoholic. And then, so he went to rehab and happy ending happened. He got clean and he was sober for a really long time, probably from like maybe eighth grade until my mom died. And so my mom gets sick and we see the patterns again, right? Mm -hmm. We see the you're staying out late, you're hanging with the wrong people, you're a little, you know, tipsy, and then tipsy becomes drunk, you know, and so then we see the patterns again, and then I have to accept, okay, now we're going back down the same road. Um, and so I became immensely triggered, like, I I cannot deal with this, like, at 43, I'm not fitting to be taking care of my dad, who's at, like, I'm just not going to be able to do it. And I think for me, that was the first time that one I realized that I need to put myself first. Mm -hmm. And two, the first time I realized that my dad was a human being first. My dad was a person who had flaws, who also, not only did he has, not only does he have flaws, he also does not have the resources that I have had to be able to cope. And so all of the things that I've learned throughout my life, all the things, the access to the internet, my friends, meeting people like you, you know, who have similar stories, like Mm -hmm. that wasn't my dad's story. Like my dad came from a small town in Maryland, slave town. Mm -hmm. And so all those feelings he has been taught his entire life to hold, to bury deep. And so when I really sat down with my therapist and really broke down like what that, what honestly it came from what forgiveness looked like for me. 
And so for me, in order for me to put myself first and not feel guilty, I had to be able to forgive, right? And so no one tells you that forgiveness, one, doesn't come with closure. (laughs) Forgiveness doesn't mean I get to have some knockout, drag down conversation with you. It doesn't mean that I get to say, oh my God, this is over, we're done. Forgiveness just means that I acknowledge that something happened. I acknowledge that it was bad and I'm going to move on. And whatever those actions look like, they're all, again, they're all going to be different for everybody, but those are the, those are the steps that I had to take. And so for me, figuring out how to forgive meant me looking at my dad as a human being. And the narrative that I kept going back to was like, Mm -hmm. this is a man who Mm -hmm. grew up as much as I love my grandparents, (laughs) they were abusive, you know, and to think how you as a man, as a black man who one isn't allowed to be a black man who isn't allowed to do all the things that I've been allowed to do. Like back then you, you didn't think about, you know, owning something or, you know, being, you know, it was against the grain. And so I had to really come to terms with the, the baggage that he was carrying and how that baggage, while that's my dad, that's not my baggage. Mm -hmm. That's your bag. And should you need help figuring out how to unpack it, how to move it along, I can, but I can't touch your bag. And so a lot of that for me was really breaking down, like, this is a human who's going through things. Mm-hmm. And that was really the first time that I realized, like, I have to I have to put me first. And so while it was hard, I talk about this in my book, like one of one of the first incidents I had with grief was guilt because my mom had died and well, was dying rather. And everyone's like, oh, you should go home, be there for her last breath. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to hold her hand. And, and, you know, I can own that now, but to say that while your mom is dying, to say, I don't want to hold your hand while you're dying sounds God awful, <laughs> right? Like the judgment, the, not even from other people, but the judgment from myself, like, why would I say that? And so I really had to say, like, I have to choose me first. And and here's why. I don't want that to be my last memory of my mom. And I, full circle today, seven years later, I am just above <laughs> joyful that that's the the route I chose because my last memories are of my mom, you know, seemingly okay, you know, laughing, joking, we painted nails. And it's not that kind of morbid, I'm holding hands and you're choking. You know, it, it, I just don't have that memory. And I know that that memory haunts my dad like so much. So for me, it really was kind of choosing myself in that kind of hard situation. When you say that, I think of this verse in the Bible that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think so. And your neighbor is your parents. That's right. And what's implicit there, though, is that it says as yourself. Mm-hmm. So I can't love mom if I'm not loving myself. Yeah. I can't love dad. I can't love anyone if I first do not know how to love, accept, choose myself. Mm-hmm. And 
I think that's been something as I've kind of walked through the journey as an adult of what do healthy boundaries look like with my family? What do healthy boundaries with my dad look like? What, because as a child, it's like, as a child, you're surviving and you do what you, you do what you have to do. And at at least like, I, I mean, I, I was definitely feisty and a fighter and I, I've (laughs) from day one came out of the womb being like, um, there's an elephant in the room. We got to talk about (laughs) it. We gotta talk about this. We're not gonna talk about this. No. Okay. Great. Pissing people off and taking names from (laughs) my first breath. Um, But realizing as an adult, I get to decide what forgiveness looks like. I get to decide what does resurrection look like. What does that mean? And I think one of one of the hardest things about moving through grief with your family or with loved ones is giving every person the space to process it mm-hmm. how they need to process it because mm-hmm. it's gonna like I'm I'm one of six kids oh, wow. and we all grew up in the same house and every single one of us have a very different childhood listen listen <laughs> <laughs> I, it's funny because it's I wish people would speak about that more. Like if we realized like in our own intimate circles, how different things can be viewed, think about how my view is different from yours. And while neither is right or wrong, but if we led conversations with, Hey, I think it looks like this. And then you say, Oh, but I thought it looked like this. And if we can kind of meet somewhere in the middle, like we'd really be able to get things done. But the idea is that my view is the truth is the fact. Mm. And that's just not, that's not the case. Yeah. Like my view isn't the fact. It is just how I experienced it. Right. Well, and I feel like if we're, as we talk about that, like I know something that we wanted to talk about in this podcast episode is what, how black people are treated in our culture. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. yes, we are both humans, but I'm a white woman and I've experienced privilege because of that. And you are a black woman. And that's, and that's, and that's not wrong. I think, Sorry to cut you off, but I think that a lot of people think, a lot of white people, white women think that if I accept that I am privileged, then I am negating my experience. I am negating my hard work. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying to you is that you were put in a position to be able to do those things solely off your skin color, where I was put in a different box. And maybe I had to, you know, move a little differently. Mm-hmm. And but but by acknowledging that privilege, it doesn't take anything away from your journey. It doesn't mean you didn't work hard, doesn't mean that you didn't have to do all that to get a full ride. It doesn't negate any of that. It just simply means that you were born in this white skin. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a conversation with one of my girlfriends, Gina Marnelli. It was on our podcast a while back. And her whole thing is she says, there's this myth that we have of being a good person. Like everyone wants to be a good person. Mm -hmm. So I don't want you to think I'm bad. Racism is bad and I'm not a racist. And so I think white people, we get so afraid of being called racist that instead of addressing racism, instead of acknowledging the experience of what it is to be a person of color in our country, we don't want to do that. We just want you, we just want everyone to know from a bullhorn that I am not racist. And here are the 10 reasons why. And what my friend says, Gina, she says, we all have bias. We all have racism within us and we have got to acknowledge that. 
that first. And then we get to hear other people's experiences. Because if all I'm wanting you to do is think, if I just want to be on this call with Ty Alexander, and I just want her to think I'm a good person, well, then I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to your experience because my experience is right and yours is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's not, I think the other idea is I honestly don't care if you're a good person or a bad person. <laughs> I really don't. What you do in your daily life is, is really, especially if I don't know you, it only affects you. Right. But what I want you to do is be the person who does the right thing. I want you to be the person who does the right thing for the sake of humanity. Right. And so you probably could be a good person who may have made some bad choices. So when I think about racism and, and, and how we view people, like I just want people to begin to think about how their choices affect other people and, and how, how the things you say, or even the silence. Because I, I think that we met based on the idea that this terrible thing had happened to this Black man and no one's talking about mm-hmm. it but Black people. Mm-hmm. And so my first thought was, again, being in the influencer world and having friends who are other colors, I'm like, why am I the only person who is thinking about this. Mm. And so far too often, I feel as a Black woman, I'm always standing up for the everybody's, the the, the whoever's, right? But other uh, ethnicities may only say something if it affects them, right? And so if it's not directly affecting you, then there's this kind of silence crippled with the fact that I'm not a racist, I don't have to address it, right? And so... For me, your silence is just as bad as the actual thing that happened, because ideally, at the end of the day, I can't battle this racist whatever without white people. Mm. I cannot, we cannot fix this if we continue to be, I'm not racist. I didn't do anything. I've never said the N word. I have black friends. (laughs) That's that's great. I'm I'm happy for you and your black friend. However, <laughs> however, we need to do more than that. It, it 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 cannot just be every time something happens, it's a hashtag and black people are fussing and talking about it. You know, it ha- it has to be a group effort because we're all humans. I think you touched on something so important too. I mean, how easy to repost something on Instagram. It's really easy. Or put the hashtag up and it's like, can we not even just do that? Like, <laughs> we can't even do that. No, but then it's, it's, it's like, that if that's all I'm doing, then like, first of all, Instagram life isn't real life. Like yeah, Instagram, yeah. I'm grateful for social media. I'm grateful for the podcast I have. Um, but my life happens in real time with real people, with everyday, everyday interactions with other humans. And I live in New York City, which is you walk outside your house and you couldn't surround yourself with sameness if you tried to. <laughs> like exactly. everyone, like there's so much diversity, like politically, socioeconomic ethnicity, like everything across the board, religiously. I mean, I live in a neighborhood where it's one of the biggest um, Hasidic Jewish neighborhoods Mm -hmm. in the United States. And I walk outside my house every day and I'm like, wow, like we, I really am surrounded by people that think, look, act differently than myself. Thank you God for that. Mm -hmm. However, how easy is it to just 
get through our days and allow the algorithm of social media, of whatever news outlet we listen to, of Facebook, Instagram, the things we choose to subscribe to or not to filter a, a, a sameness in our lives. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it's like, if I feel like if I look around and all I have around me are people that look, act, talk, smell, think, breathe, whatever, like me, then I'm like, I just don't think that that's God's heart for humanity. It's not, it's not, it so isn't. It's so, and, and, and that's why I, I, I love connections like you and I, because I could say something that could trigger you in your next conversation with someone who looks like me. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes when people ask, like when white people say, well, what can I do? Like, what, you know, if you don't want me to post it on Instagram, like what action can I do? And I'm, and I self, I say to them, you know, if you agree with me, right. And so you can big thumbs up me in the DMs, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Take that knowledge when you're sitting at your dinner table mm-hmm. and grandma starts going off about some black person. Mm-hmm. And those are the times where you speak up for me as an ally. Ideally, it's, yes, the the hashtags are great. The sharing is great. All of that is great. But if you're not doing the work in your own inner circles, most times things like that, people kind of laugh it off. Oh, that's just grandma. Oh, that's just auntie. She, you know, she grew up that, da, 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 da. you have to speak up when those things happen because they happen very subtly. We've all been in uncomfortable places. I've, I've corrected my dad because my dad has something with gay people. So <laughs> I'm like, you can't say that. Like we're, yeah. it's 2020. That's not what we're calling them, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. you, you have to be able to be brave enough to kind of gut check your family members or, or your friends. Like those times where people are sitting around joking about things. It's like, we're a little bit more conscious now. Like if we really want to be this kind of woke society, right? That doesn't just mean being woke on the internet. That means when it happens out, you know, in, in the streets per se, then you say something and it doesn't have to be a conflict. It doesn't have to be an argument. It could be, you know, I have a friend named Ty and she was talking about this and here's how someone might feel, you know, if they had heard you say this, you know what I mean? And so it's a really good small practice to be able to correct that behavior. And hopefully the more that you do that, the more it begins to change people's perspective. Even when you're in a room with someone and someone's talking about maybe a Muslim, you might be able to say, you know, I have a friend who's Muslim and that's just not how they think about that. That, That's not how all Muslims work, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. So it's just a matter of being able to speak up and and being brave because it's really easy to be quiet. It's really easy to be silent about these things. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. 
and we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content, and you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refine Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refine Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refine Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. One of my coaches said to me, it's, I don't know, a few years ago now, is she just said, just start noticing just Mm. notice. And that doesn't mean judge. It just means Mm -hmm. notice, Mm -hmm. get curious. Hmm. Like how, what, what, what's coming up in this conversation? What's coming up for me? What's coming up for this other person? Oh, interesting to notice how I responded to X, whether Mm. it's a conversation or a breakup or whatever it is, but, and just starting it to notice even just how you're talking about, you know, journaling when you're a kid and you're just like doing this emotional dump of, Oh, this is how I feel. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. This is how I feel in my body. Oh, when grandma says something like that, this is, this is how everyone reacts. This is how I have notoriously acted. Oh, okay. So once we have that awareness, then we get to say, Oh, do I want to, is this in or out of alignment with who I am and who I want to be? That's, that is the question. Right. I think so often when we think about self-care, it's like you have to really operate in for me, it's like what my overall mantra is, right? So like my my purpose is teaching women how to choose gratitude over grief. And so if the things I do or feel or be don't align with that purpose, then I gotta figure out how to resolve it. But most people get stuck at, you know, I feel this and I should be mad and I should say something and I should, and I should, and I should. And it has nothing to do with the things you should think you should be doing. Like it's, it don't work that way. All right. Well, I, can I open another can of worms? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, since we're doing worms today, since why not? Worms, I, okay. So on your blog, um, as I was going hardcore recon. I was like, I gotta know this girl. Um, you (laughs) had, you recently did a boudoir session Yes, and (laughs) I, so I've been a photographer for over a decade and I've, I've shot a lot of boudoir sessions over the years, but it wasn't until I got my boudoirs taken that everything changed for me. So first of all, I, I want to hear about your boudoir session and what that was like for you as a woman and what, like, what, yeah, let's just talk about that. <laughs> well, I have to say that I cheated a little bit because <laughs> <laughs> my husband took those pictures. My husband is also a photographer, so it wasn't hard mm. at all. Um, it was actually a more of a connective experience Mm -hmm. for us, um, just to, for him to view me in a different way Mm -hmm. other than the nagging wife (laughs) that I can be at times, you know, it's, it's a good reminder or was a good reminder for us of the sexual connection Mm -hmm. that we had. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't, it was kind of weird at first, Mm -hmm. um, 
But even like my husband gave me tips on like how to put my body up and shape it into an S and just kind of, you know, things to make your body look, you know, in sync with the camera and Mm -hmm. all that kind of good stuff. So my experience, again, I cheated a little bit because it was my husband, so it wasn't hard. Mm -hmm. Putting it on the internet, (laughs) that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. What came up Um, for you in that? So just, you know, a lot of pervs in my DMs. Mm, <laughs> pervs. Had to block. Yeah, had to block a lot of people. Um, but for the most part, um, I, my audience is mostly women. And so a lot of them, again, were empowered. And, and, and for me, if I can do one thing on the internet a day, I would love for you to be able to think about something in a different way whether it be about your body, about yourself, your, 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 you know, your wellness journey, whatever it is. And so that experience, I definitely, from reading the comments and, and the emails that I got in response was having plus size women look or, or, or be able to see a body in a different way, you know, and not in a, because I think a lot of times in plus size, especially in body positivity, there's this notion that, or underlying notion rather, that in order for me to love my body, I got to be naked. Mm. or, you know, that not in order for me to love, that's not what I'm saying. In order for me to show, right, that I love my body, then I have to be naked. And and there's so many different ways. And while that's not wrong, because don't come for me, <laughs> <laughs> that's not wrong, but there are so many other ways to love your body. Mm. And I think with my boudoir shoot, people were reminded of the different ways that you can love your body. And so if you want to be full on naked, that's fine too. But here's another way where you can kind of honor your sexuality and, and yeah. honor the the joy, the the beautiful part of being a woman, you know? Yeah. And I grew up in, I'm in Texas right now, actually. I've, I'm still quarantined out here. Um, but I grew up in the South and, you know, the belt buckle of the Bible belt, um, Christian culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we were taught modesty. I like literally would preach to the girls that I mentored modest is hottest. And, you know, (laughs) oh man, all these messages that I think were implicit because of that, that I learned about myself were, well, first I think inside the church and outside the church, I don't know what you think about this, but, um, there's this pressure put on women to not only uphold our quote unquote purity, but also protect men from lust or stumbling or, you know, we don't want to ask for it in the clothes that we do or do not wear. And, and so I think I learned implicitly from those messages, like, Oh, like something about being a woman is dangerous. It's wrong. wrong. I'm guilty. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also felt like growing- it's, also, it's crazy to think that that concept literally just went away with like the Me Too movement. Mm. Like if we think about yeah. how long we had that concept, like it's 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 so absurd. Mm. But think about how long decades we live by that mantra. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we're just we're just starting with the Me Too movement. We're just starting to un un mm. or tap into like what does it mean to be a woman what does it mean to be a godly woman what does it mean to be sexual and as a per, as a woman of faith today like what does that mean for me and so mm-hmm. i don't for part of my boudoir session for myself was this spiritual experience for me where for one of the first times i accepted myself as a woman 
mm. and accepted, wow, like God created my body and God said that my body was good. And mm-hmm. yeah, that doesn't mean I need to parade around naked and do, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that, but it doesn't, it, my sexuality belongs to me. It doesn't mm-hmm. belong to someone else. So getting to really own that and then to have someone take those pictures. And you say that it, it was you had the easy way out having your husband take your pictures. I feel like there are women listening to this podcast right now that were like that are probably thinking, I would want anyone taking my picture beside my husband. I don't want, you know, I'm trying to cover up the angles. And I think that that is super vulnerable. That well, and. It, and I will say it was, but that's why I said for us, like, I, I really wish that everyone's husband could take a boudoir picture because it really was such a connective experience for us. Because I, to your point, I ain't gonna lie. I was the, I was the wife that would keep the t-shirt on, right? Mm-hmm. That would, you know, kind of cover myself around my husband at times, especially when I didn't feel comfortable or at my, you know, at my prettiest. And so that that shoot really got me to be like, my husband loves me. Fat roll and all boobs moving to left or right <laughs> and yes. all, you know, because I'm a big breasted woman, so they don't sit up no more. <laughs> you know, and so all of these insecurities that I've allowed, you know, the magazines and the, mm. you know, the, the the surgeries and the Instagram models, all, yeah. the, all these insecurities that I've allowed, you know, to infiltrate my mind you know, with that one photo shoot, my mind was like, girl, you're tripping. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is so dumb. Like, this is crazy. So yeah, I, I hope that everyone at some point can at least experience a boudoir shoot, husband or not. Um, But if you can do that with your partner, I think it's a really great way to reconnect uh, Mm -hmm. sexually Mm -hmm. and, and just intimately because you forget and we've been together for almost 20 years. And so sometimes you kind of forget the reason why the attraction is there, you know, cause you're, you know, you're moving about the day, you, you know, you're building houses and working jobs and, you know, the, the daily stuff kind of makes you forget, you know, why you were, why you came together in the first place. So. Yeah. It can be so easy just to become, I'm sure I'm single, but to become a roommate or like a business partner, as opposed to, well, we're also lovers here, you know, like there's, there is that here. And I mean, I think what you're, when you're describing that dynamic, I hear, man, if, if I want my partner to take pictures of me, first of all, I have to trust, I have mm-hmm. to surrender you know, I, and that's, I mean, that's some foreplay hard. right there, you know, <laughs> and it also, I'm sure it can expose like, Oh, like I am not trusting my partner right now or yeah. wow. Like and maybe there's, your point, I, I never even thought about it that way, mm-hmm. but it did, it did expose the areas that I didn't trust in him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to ask you 3,000 more questions. So do you have nine more hours to talk? <laughs> I mean, we are quarantined, so we could do this all day. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, well, maybe just one more question. If if there is just, I'm, I know you have so much incredible content out there. You're supporting thousands and thousands of women. Um, if you could just say one thing to a person, to a woman that is listening to this podcast right now, um, maybe it's like, man, I wish someone would have told me this, or if this is just the one thing you want a a woman to walk away from, from today, what would you want her to know? 
I think my my over I hate saying overarching because I feel like I say it all the time, but it, <laughs> it really is the overarching theme of what I believe in, in that you got to choose yourself, you know, before, and I'm, I'm a mom too, so I get it. I'm a wife, I get it. But in order for me, and, and I'm a creator, right? So I have three, I, I basically have three babies on me, right? I got <laughs> my own baby, my husband, and then my internet fam. Mm-hmm. And so in order for me to show up in all three of those uh, arenas, my cup not only has to be full, but it kind of has to be overflowing yeah. in order for me to pour in so many different lanes. Hmm. And so if you're just a something, maybe your cup can be full, but no one's just a, a whatever, right? Yeah. We're all, we all have these thousands of, of titles, right? That we've acquired throughout the years. So you really have to practice. And, and again, self-care is, is trendy now, but you really have to practice being able to serve you first in whatever capacity you need it, Right. You're not going to be able to be a good wife, the, the the good CEO, the good mom, all of this, if you can't serve cat first, right? Like if, if you can't serve who you are, then there's no way possible that you're going to be able to fill all of those buckets. So I would say to all women, you know, you got to pick you first and it's going to be hard. There are lots of things and times where people will make you believe that choosing you is selfish and it's not selfish. It's selfless, but it's not selfish. And it's also just the mandatory thing that you have to do in order to show up as your best self for other people in other things and, and, and your wants and your needs. And I'll add the second thing that I would tell them is to choose joy. A lot of times we forget that or, or, or we think that joy is supposed to just show up, right? Like um, at some point, happiness will find me. I'm going to, you know, flowers and lilies. No, baby, you got to go pick them flowers and lilies. <laughs> you got to go find all the flowers, whatever makes you happy. Mm-hmm. You got to go out there and find it. So I encourage everyone to really go out there and create those moments and, and create them despite your circumstances. So good. So good. Well, thank you so much, Ty, for sharing your heart. And um, I'm just really you. grateful for the work that you're doing. And can before we hop off, how can people get their hands on your book? How can they hire you? How can they get get on your website? All the things. So my book, Things I Wish I Knew Before My Mom Died, the easiest way that you can get it is on Amazon. But once the quarantine is open, it is also at Barnes and Nobles and other brick and mortar stores. Um, you can follow me at Ty Alexander on Instagram. All the other platforms is love Ty, Ty Alexander because they won't give up my name. Y'all go and get them. Rude. (laughs) Rude. Um, And then my wellness community is Self Care IRL, which stands for In Real Life. Um, And the website is the same, selfcareirl.com. And that's your podcast too, right? Yes. Podcast, wellness community, all that that good stuff. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. (laughs) You're very welcome. I'm so sad that you're like in Texas because we can't like say hi. But once we get off lockdown, I'll come say hi. (laughs) <laughs> oh yes, come to New York, or maybe we can meet in the middle. I don't know all the things. Let's do I it. I don't want to go to Texas because there's some barbecue there. Like I used to live in New York, so I don't uh, really care. But yeah. um, uh, we can go back to Texas. <laughs> um, yes, I mean, 
I'll just tell you this from all the barbecue and Tex-Mex and margaritas I've had in the last two months. My <laughs> jeans are not really buttoning right now. So this ugh. is why they made leggings. Okay. That is right. That's, I'm like living. Oh, well, I thought I was going to be home for a week. So I have like a no, pair of jeans yeah. and some yoga pants. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, these yoga pants are starting to feel a little tight. <laughs> Oh, that's so big. <laughs> uh, but there are worse things in life than your pants being tight. Listen, so, listen. yeah, we will survive. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll help you get some barbecue. We'll talk soon. Thank you, darling. Good talking mm-hmm. to you. You too. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.